Brady. This is Club Hell. Thanks for coming, kids. Hey, Hello, this is Notes from the Back Row. A cinema podcast of commentary, questions, answers, dreams, fears, joy rise, hell rise, and so much more. So strap in for a veritable cinematic Coney Island of the mind. Another episode of Notes from the Back Row. My name is Dan Gorman, and I will be your projectionist for this episode. It has been a while since we put our episode out. Apologies for that. But thankfully, it is the most wonderful time of year right now. October, Halloween on the horizon. I'm so excited. Got my candy that I bought from the store that I'm going to eat all of. Uh, it's amazing. Super excited. The chill is in the air here in Toronto and just couldn't be more excited for the season. So if you'd like to get in contact with the back row and notes from the back row, you can email us at backrowcineblog at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, backrowcineblog. Uh, that's also our Facebook, facebook.com slash backrowcineblog. And you can also follow us on Instagram at, you guessed it, backrowcineblog. So this month right now on the website uh, we have some really great stuff jenna did a double feature revenge irish style uh, carlo has a really great article about bad horror gone good featuring 976 evil blades and death spa and veronica still has the goodbye burt reynolds article up for you to read um, there's also some really great stuff coming up in October. Those features were from the end of September, but there's some really great stuff coming in October that you will want to be at back-row.com to read. Okay, this episode of the show. Uh, the last episode of the show was Carlo and I, and we did some Chud Buddies cult movie picks. This week on the show, Jenna and Veronica are doing an episode about hype every year there's movies that come out they play festivals people get really excited about them uh the hype train starts to roll and sometimes there are people that feel like those films don't live up to those expectations that were set and that's okay um and jenna and veronica are going to talk about some films that they felt didn't you know well, they're just going to talk about some films. They're going to talk, talk about the hype around those films. And uh, I'll let their discussion speak for itself. So without further ado, here is the discussion on hype on Notes from the Back Row. discussing super hype movies here on Notes from the Back Row, as well as some of the terminology we use to discuss them. I have with me, of course, today, the lovely Miss Jenna Iskar. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you started with our uh, technology noise. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think, I mean, I know that I sort of pitched this idea because of one movie in particular, 
So I'm just going to start there, um, but I'm sure we all have a bunch of overhyped movies in our heads that we can think of when someone says, you know, anything about, oh, this movie was, was too much hype, not enough hype, blah, blah, blah. I think we all have a few that we watch and we're like, what the hell is everyone talking about? But for me, sadly, this year, and I, it kind of breaks my heart because I was really looking forward to it, was hereditary. And I was discussing it with a friend of mine after I saw it, that it's almost impossible not to get swept up in hype. I tried really hard. I tried to remove myself from hype as much as possible. Even if I'm excited about something, I won't look into what you know, the early reviewers are saying. I try to avoid it as much as possible. Advertising for it, I just try to go in with as clean a slate as I can. With horror movies, that gets really tough because people are always like, so scary, so scary, so scary. I was nervous going into Hereditary. I was like, my friend who I saw it with, who had scared her, was making fun of me for how nervous I was. And, yeah, shows her. She's the one who scared. But I was really, like, going in going like, oh, my God, I'm going to do this to myself again. It's going to be another one of those movies that's just, like, lodged in my head and I think about all the time and scars me for weeks. And then I I don't want to use the word hated because I feel like that is too strong a word. But I was just so let down by it. And I just didn't – I could see – you know, it's, I thought it started off well, but by the end, I was still like, oh, boy, <laughs> this is, uh. and I know well, you are. Yeah, I'll say that, you know, it, 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 I was had a similar experience where I was, I was awful terrified going into this, and, I mean, in general, I will say that I am not the horror person. Uh, right. Like, you and Carlo, for sure. Uh, and part of the reason why is because I am just a major wuss. I can't totally care. Sure. Every time something in a movie jumps, I jump, you know? Like, that's just, and, and yeah, I, no, this is Bambi. Relax. This is jumping. That's just what they do. <laughs> it's terrifying. No, but yeah, no, that's exactly. It, it, it's stupid. I'll even, like, actively know in my mind that this is not something I need to be afraid of. And, right. Or I will know, okay, this is the scene where they're going to look in a mirror, and then he's going to look away, and then and they'll look in the mirror again. There's going to be someone behind him. Like, that stuff is so, you know, cliche at this point. But every single time it happens, I jump. Like, it's involuntary. Right. And well, I don't think it was, so I was terrified going into this, uh, and then, I don't know, I got let curiosity get the best of me, and I will say, though, I definitely found this scary in parts, and certain parts of it actually, quiet moments of this movie sort of haunted me, but I sure. very similarly let down, especially just by the plot, and, and by the, the whole package, quite frankly, but... So it's uh, funny you mentioned that, because the, the plot... Because um, I kind of remember watching it and being like, so I know what's going on, but it, it's sort of too nebulous and too vague for me to really, like, latch on to it. Um, and I just thought maybe I was, because I like stuff that's open-ended. I like stuff that doesn't explain every little thing. I'm fine with that. Um, but there was just something that kind of didn't fit right with me. And then I came across an interview with the director where he was saying he wanted to make a movie basically 
about a sacrifice from the land's point of view. I think that's like close to a direct quote. So it's like, you know, these are the sacrificial lambs just kind of going through what this big whole sacrifice is and not, and they don't know what's going on. And at first I was like, sure, except that that wasn't, there were too many times where the perspective did switch, where it did show us stuff that the family didn't know. So it's like it had too much of that for it to just, just be straight from the land's point of view. And then it didn't have enough of that to really, like, tie everything together so cohesively, at least for me. So I know we were also discussing before that sometimes people make big grand statements about things that everyone loved or everyone hated. They say it's overrated. You know, ugh, everyone loves it. It's overrated. And I want to, don't want to do that because I understand that, you know, if that's just someone's opinion and hereditary, people loved it. A lot of people loved it. But I really couldn't, I felt like there wasn't enough of the plot for me to care. You know, or something like, well, weird stuff is happening, so, okay. <laughs> you know, I also, and this is something that we have discussed before, um, particularly my reaction to The Revenant, is that I do, I do sometimes struggle with movies where, Everything seems awful, like right off the bat. The family seems miserable. The revenant, everyone's lives seem so miserable. Because I just genuinely don't have the will to live. I'm not like, let's keep going, let's fight, let's, you know, struggle against nature. I'm sort of like, no, that's okay, I'll just die. And things, <laughs> like, so the whole movie of Hereditary, I was like, oh, well, I'm pretty sure you're all going to die. Because even in the trailer, it gave away enough of that. You saw Gabriel Byrne versus right. You know, and I was like, so I'm pretty sure. But I also don't care because your lives seem awful. I wouldn't. I'm, uh, I'd probably cast it out too. I'd be like, this isn't worth it. So well, that was so strange. I mean, like, why, I, you know, just on a basic level, you know, I, I actually, the, the line about this being, you know, from a sacrificial lamb's point of view, that, that's interesting. And I can definitely see that. I agree with you that there was, that wasn't clear enough. Right. But, I mean, it's one thing to have the confusion of the characters happening, but the audience felt just as in the dark. You know, at the end of right. this movie, spoiler alert, because if you're right <laughs> listening to this, I don't know why you're going to listen to this bitch about this movie, uh, the, you know, if you haven't <laughs> seen it. Have. But, but uh, you know, by the end of this movie, I just didn't know who actually was profiting. Right. This entire family dies. Okay, fine. We saw that coming. And then this King is risen, which seems very convoluted and yeah. necessarily hard. And then finally, uh, okay, what? The, the, the grandmother is meant to have gained riches from this, but she's dead, so we don't see that she's right. back in any way. So what, where, riches, where are these riches? Now that this has even happened, it felt very small. It didn't feel like apocalyptic. It didn't feel like, okay, now the world is going to end because like four naked people have like raised the you know uh, yeah and like one a minor king in hell you know like right. they had to look him up you know they were even like oh the devil which I also so this is a little bit uh, not even of a tangent but like a side note I don't know why they didn't just go for devil. I don't know why it was like this obscure, when he said convoluted, I thought that was perfect. Because it was like this obscure devil, this obscure demon that needed to be in a male body and came back in a female body, I guess. 
and that's why they had to get rid of Charlie, well, and, you know. Yeah, she, like, the, the, the grandmother implanted it in the girl because she didn't have access to the boy. The boy. And then they had to, like, do a switcheroo. <laughs> like, but you could have done that earlier. Like, you could have... Uh, you can have found another little boy at this point. Like, you know, I don't know. I didn't, I mean, I just didn't buy any of it. It didn't feel ancient and old enough to me. And, like, maybe he didn't want to use Satan because that's too cliche because all these, all these movies are about Satan. But, right. you know, I don't know. I just, it, at the end, did you really feel any menace? I felt like, okay, now this guy's just going to walk around and be kind of evil and, you know, I don't know. But still got his day. I did feel that, like, this was really the end of anything or the beginning of anything. It just sort of felt like, mm, all right, now right. there's the devil. <laughs> I, I felt more menace at the end of Rosemary's Daisy. And that was, right. like, literally a, a baby, like a tiny little baby. And I was kind of like, oh, boy, this is, we've already had sort of hints in this movie about God is dead and, you know, this is, like, the start of a new era. It felt like those people had power. You know, I kind of, with this, I was like, all right, well, y'all are needing a treehouse. So I don't know how well things are going for you. I, you know, you saying, like, oh, he's going to just walk around and be kind of evil. I was saying to a friend of mine, like, it didn't scare me, especially because, like, the end is just this teenager's family is dead and he's the king of hell. And I was kind of like, I don't know, that sounds fine. That doesn't sound scary to me. Grey Garden <laughs> still scares me more. Like, yeah, right? I would love that as a teenager. This is great. Yeah, I mean, that's the other thing is that the, the stuff I really liked about Hereditary was, I, you know, I really liked the whole family dynamic. I thought that the stuff that was really more interesting and, and profoundly sad and, and really uh, worked well for this was the scenes of the son arguing with his mother. Yeah. You know, his grief and his guilt and the, the revealed horrors of what he had to put up with from his mother in the past and that final scene with him screaming in the attic, like all of that stuff was just heartbreakingly depressing. And right. like when Hereditary focuses on those family dynamics, dynamics, it's, it's intriguing. It's really interesting. And then Satanism kind of pales in comparison. Right. That is, I mean, who cares? Like, and then his whole family dies, and so they're awful removes what was intriguing to begin with. So I thought, so my, you know, my favorite reviewer from the BBC, Mark Kermode, said something. He's a horror guy, and he said something about this not having, it starts with a good, like, sort of psychological math, you can kind of, you know, you can see what they're, they're talking about trauma and family dynamics and grief, and he says, like, but that, that, like, really tight psychological metaphor doesn't follow all the way through, and I think you hit on something there, where you're saying, like, these family dynamics were more interesting, Satan kind of pales in comparison, and I think that's why I was a huge fan of The Babadook, or the very similar uh, Iranian movie, Under the Shadow. And I think that in the end, a lot of what we're scared of is, is, is metaphorical. Everything is kind of happening, even if these things are being created as monsters and whatnot, it's like this very neatly constructed metaphor of what these, these mental problems are, grief, depression, blah, blah, blah. And with this, it kind of started that way, and then by the end had become, oh, well, they're being set up for for slaughter. Like, that's why I was kind of like, oh, I wish they had started a little happier. Then I might have been a little bit more invested in them just being killed. 
because that's right. kind of what it came down to, as opposed to like, and I've, I've talked to a couple of my friends who liked it, who said they felt it uh, worked as, you know, mental illness in a family and, um, you know, abuse in a family, and sure, that's fine, but it's like, I see that more in something like the Babadook, where I kind of see more clearly how this is about mental illness or this is about someone suffering and not being able to deal with it. Whereas in Hereditary, it just, it seemed like it was going to go that way. And then something that would that would sort of make a metaphor out of your actual genetics and how terrifying it is that someone just hands you genetics and goes, like, good luck, kid, that would be scarier instead of just like, well, we set you up for slaughter. Okay, but that could have been anybody. It could right. have been family down the street. Like, the, the name hereditary seemed off to me afterwards. I was kind of like, what do you want? It all felt like a choice, for sure. It didn't feel like this was some inevitable. It just felt like the grandmother had set this all up to happen, and she made the choice to do that. So right. that's why I don't buy that metaphor of this being about mental illness and all of that stuff. You know, they, they, they serve you this delicious prepared dish of family uh, drama, and then, but but then they tell you, like, don't, no, 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 don't, don't eat the food. Just look at the, look at the silverware, you know, look at all these peripheral things and appreciate right. that. I don't want that. Like, I agree with you. The Babadook was way more uh, effective when it came for the horror actually being a metaphor for something and actually having a meaning, whereas hereditary, yeah, it just felt like it, it was... Creepy for the sake of being creepy in a lot of ways, which is okay, but it didn't, I mean, it scared me. <laughs> it worked in that way. Did it scare you more than the lawnmower man from Annihilation? Oh, man. Well, it's like a different, like, <laughs> Annihilation, Annihilation was like a, that, that was more like an existential terror. Or sure. hereditary, the stuff that really freaked me out was more of a menace. Like that scene right. where the... Uh, I think this was after the father died, and then there's just a naked man standing in a doorway. Right, like a little too far away that you can't tell if there's it's like a shadow or a person. Yeah, that yeah. Was, that freaks me out. And then the mother on the ceiling in the dark, where there's about a, a two-minute-long scene with uninterrupted, where the son wakes up, and it's very, very dark. And you see, eventually, as your eyes adjust to the, the darkness of the screen, you see the mother is, like, on the ceiling in the corner, right, right over him. And it's right before everything goes, like, batshit crazy in the last 20 minutes of the movie. Right. And that scared the shit out of me. And what was actually funnier, honestly, was listening to everyone in the theater recognize what was happening. Right. <laughs> because, oh, you hear people gasping. But the best was in the theater I was in, like, maybe, like, a really at the end of the scene, after everyone very clearly had already understood what was happening and even the son was getting up and going out of bed and, like, walking out of the scene, one guy, like, two rows away from me just suddenly went, oh, shit. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> the entire theater bust out. <laughs> the well played, sir. Good timing. <laughs> Like you're dead already. Like, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is over. Yeah, I just, you know, yeah, it just didn't. I, it didn't hit on anything for me. But I don't know. I mean, I it felt. I feel like a lot of hype in general and overhype and this whole concept. 
I mean, for sure there are movies where, you know, the, the, the general consensus is that this is a good movie. Whether that means that it's a classic forever, I think, and, and which is where people tend to go with the concept of something being overhyped. Right. You know, they think just because something was enjoyed by the majority of people in a year, they get knee-jerky about, like, well, it's no uh, psycho or whatever. It's like, it's not Hitchcock. Right. And you're like, well, like, no one, why does it have to be Hitchcock? It's awful. I mean, Hitchcock's a little overrated. But right. I was like, well, how do we have a discussion about Hitchcock being over, overrated? We have several, I feel. But I think a lot of, of hype ends up being marketing. When, you know, the, the sure. reason I even heard about Hereditary was that it's the type of thing that you hear that when it premiered at a film festival, people pissed themselves and vomited. <laughs> like, right. God knows what in the theater and that this was the most terrifying thing anyone's ever seen. And the first couple of reviews that trickled out, everyone talked about how horrifying and terrifying and deep and dark and you'll never guess. It was a type of movie I remember too reading about it and having the reviewers even say, I don't even want to tell you too much because it's just it's so good and it's, I don't want to spoil anything, which is, is hype. <laughs> right. right. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's hard to live up to something like that. And I think that in general, you know, what you're going to hear from reviewers, and, and I say this as hard, obviously, as, as us reviewing movies, uh, stuff that I think hits reviewers real hard tends to be always a bit off from what most people enjoy anyhow. Because you're there watching so many movies, I think when they just see a good one, I think they just feel happy. <laughs> sure. I can also see it being the opposite, where, like, I would get over, especially with horror. I, You know, I watch horror through all of October, and I get, like, oversaturated sometimes, where I'll watch a movie that I know is scary, that I know is good, that I can get, and I'm just like, oh, it's not affecting me anymore. You just, uh, there's been so much of the same. I do think that. There are a lot of movies that, you know, a lot that we like, especially that audiences hate and critics love. And I think sometimes people want to be ahead of the curve. So when you have these things premiering at film festivals, you always, you know, you always hear about X number of films. You always hear about, like, five that people are tweeting out the minute they saw it. And I almost never believe that people fainted or passed out or vomited or anything in, I know, you know. <laughs> took a shit at Because I'm always like, is this really affecting you that badly? Don't you leave? Don't you? How do you right. stay till you're about to pass out? You know, even, we both like that movie Raw, but I hate when people tell the story. And I've heard it repeated several times. Oh, people threw up at the premiere at Cannes or wherever the hell it was. And you're like, what? How did someone go into a feminist cannibal horror movie and have such a weak constitution that they threw up or was even unable to, like, remove themselves from the situation? Like, what the hell? Are these people doing? <laughs> I'm just I people still get the vapors after 1940, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I've gotten really sucked into movies before, and I can't imagine sitting there until I'm about to vomit. Or, like, I think that once that kicks in, you're like, I'm going to walk out and say, I'm going to go sit somewhere. And well, I mean, at their minimum, close your eyes. <laughs> you know, but auditory stuff, actually, The Babadook was one of the first movies that really 
like scared me auditorily. I wasn't. There was a couple of visual things that got me, but not in the same way that the noises in that movie got me. You cover your eyes and sometimes you're just hearing it. You're like, ah, oh, this works. <laughs> Why did I do this? So yeah, I don't. You're right for sure. Uh, you know that reminds me actually of, of Mother, which is a movie that also had a weird hype and a sure. weird media presence. That I had mixed emotions about, and I wrote something on back row if you're really interested in my thoughts about it. But what I will say for that movie was the sound mixing was amazing. And I'm really happy I saw it in a theater because I don't think that you'll have the same impact watching it on a television right. uh, unless you have surround sound, which I guess most, like a lot of people do. I don't. <laughs> no, I was like, I mean, I don't even have TV, so. <laughs> Yeah, but the the mixing in that was amazing. It really created that sense of claustrophobia and people doing things and moving things and breaking things in and around the entire theater and behind you, and it reminded me of a lot of stress dreams that I had. <laughs> people not leaving your house and also sneaking in behind you, that sort of stuff, and, and uh, I was very impressed with, with that for sure. And it was stressful, actually. It was a stressful watch, even though I, I didn't love the movie. Yeah, I was sort of, you know, lukewarm about it. I feel like I liked it enough. But, you know, we've talked about this, where it was another one where I felt like the metaphor didn't work as well as the people making the movie thought it did. <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't know. If it's supposed to be about nature and God, I guess, um, Nature kills us all the time. Nature has no qualms about killing us. Like, I didn't, if that is supposed to be the metaphor, that's why I know we've discussed this, which is kind of settling on. I don't think it's actually supposed to be, or Darren Aronofsky thinks it's supposed to be about nature. I just think it's what it feels like to put up with an arrogant man. (laughs) That old movie felt like to me. Yep, that's exactly it. It's definitely not about everything that Darren Aronofsky said it was about. And it's just quite obvious. I was like, I don't know. I I will admit that at the time I was working on a play in London and dealing with a very arrogant, obnoxious man. So that totally could have colored my perception. But I definitely was like, oh, this just feels like dating a shitty person. Great. That's why I was so amazed that, that um, I mean, to, to get a little gossipy, screw it. I was so amazed that Jennifer Lawrence claimed this was the movie that made her fall in love with him. I was like, why? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <Maybe>. <laughs> really? Okay. Now we're not dating anymore, so right. um, so for thought. It's, well, in, in you know, kind of continuing on Darren Aronofsky as far as <laughs> – I don't want. I'm not going to use the word overrated. I'm not going to do it. But like, boy, did I like Requiem for a Dream when I was 13, 14, and hadn't really done a whole lot of drugs yet? I watch it now as a 32 year old, or even the last time I watched it a couple of years back, and it's like, this is so. Like, dude, have you never done drugs before in your life? Have you like the addicts in that movie? Man, they were always on the go. Do you know what addicts do most of like? There's no boredom in that movie. There's no, like, you know, you don't actually feel the slog of addiction. You kind of feel people wrapped up in bad schemes. You know, it, does, it almost doesn't have to do with drugs. You're kind of like, wait, you guys are trying to save money to start a business? Okay. Uh, that's, that's not what addicts do, but cool. <laughs> you, 
you keep doing that. It's just like so much of his, I feel like so much of his work turns, tries to make things melodramatic when really the actual story, the core, and what would be more interesting is simpler. You know, it's a, it's a little bit more human. So that's, I like Black Swan, but that's all you get out of me. <laughs> Watch a lot of your movies and just I'm like, oh boy. Well, that reminds me of uh, three billboards outside of and how I'm positive that Martin McDonough, or how you, however you pronounce his last name, I apologize to all of Ireland. I know, um, you just went there. Yeah, yeah, now listen. I'm, I'm, uh, <laughs> but I, I don't think he's ever been to rural America. And yeah. I say this as a, a New York City girl. <laughs> right. Well, you're calling, you're calling someone out, you know, for the same. You, you would see it in yourself, yeah. you see it in him. He has just never spoken to a single person there. And he definitely did not get any beers there because there is no goddamn dive bar that would ever serve $8 beer in rural Missouri. And I pointed this out on Letterboxd, and someone said, oh, I thought the guy ordered two beers. And I but that's like, still a lot. It's like still a lot, and I'm, I'm not convinced that he ordered two beers. I would love to get a third voice to tell me that that happened. Right. I'm very open to that. But either way, this dude, the, the way that this dialogue was written – it just felt like inner city Cav, uh, you know, dialogue, but with a southern accent. You know, right. Americans don't Americans don't banter the word cunt around. That uh, excuse me, mother. <laughs> right. I had thought that several times throughout the movie, where I was like, first of all, this mom's supposed to be a battle axe, and her teenage son just calls her a cunt, and she just kind of like. Hey, don't you use that word. We're like, what the hell? You know, they say it in a loving jest, too. Like, the mom's like, oh, you. And you're like, dude. <laughs> yeah, no way. Do you know what that word means here? Yeah. It, it sort of bothers me when people talk about things being like, you know, you're another, you're, you're a white guy trying to write this thing that's, like, empowering, I guess. But you have people of color that are just used as plot devices that have no substance to them, that, you know, you have women fulfilling the two roles that seem to be women in his movies. It's like they're either old battle axes or they're young, naive, and, you know, about to be... Yeah, they're so to be disappointed. burned to death, and the only scene of dialogue they get is when they, this, the daughter says, I hope I get raped, and then leaves the house and then gets raped and murdered. Yeah, you're like, oh, you know, I feel like that's a little too on the nose. It doesn't have to be. Yeah, and it's, it, there's a literal punchline as far as domestic violence, and it amazed me how many people... I knew that were like appalled by I, Tanya because of using uh, domestic abuse as a joke, which I didn't think it did. I think people just can't, you know, oh, they're playing super tramp in the background. It's not supposed to be a serious scene. What what made you make that decision? Like, what, is, what the hell are you talking about? But, sorry, <laughs> a, different, a different point. And then they love, they all love free billboards. And I was like, Dad, you don't think three billboards use domestic violence as a punchline? It's like, no. Name one scene. <laughs> okay. Uh, Francis McDormand's ex-husband is choking her and interrupted by his dissy new wife, 
who just right. comes across the scene nonchalantly and leaves. Everybody laughed in the theater when I saw it. Everybody was laughing at that scene. So <laughs> that's what that whole movie, it's like they, they use these sort of sketches of, of people instead of actually just pulling from real-life people. And I didn't understand why he felt the need to go big with this meant-to-be small-town rural point on spot, like, police right. violence, maybe? But then the, you know, the bad cop was such a, like, a, someone who didn't know. I mean, he couldn't even tell if the building he was standing in was burning down. Uh, don't even get it. You know, me. I mean, how does that even work? <laughs> yeah. How are we meant to then feel for this guy or identify with this guy? And yet so many people did. Which right, and he gets the redemption arc, so he does not right. deserve it. Right, the only person it. who gets the redemption arc is this guy that, that, you know, throws someone else out of a window, says a bunch of racist and sexist stuff, and yet he's the one that we're meant to focus on and, and forgive or, or understand. Like, there's plenty of ways. I mean, I, I am 100% against racist people, but there are definitely other ways that you could redeem a racist person. Right. <laughs> you know, you could show the fact that they are a human being who is perhaps ignorant uh, or full of hatred for misguided reasons or, you know, there's plenty of ways to to humanize uh, people that have terrible or violent uh, opinions uh, or ways of life. We have plenty of Nazi movies that are about, like, good Nazis. <laughs> right, yeah. You know, I mean, like, you find it. You can figure out how to do it. It doesn't mean that they're not, like, a bad person or that they're not from uh, thinking of a bad uh, ideology. But I just didn't understand why this movie felt it, like it had to go for the Wiley Coyote style, like, violent, casual racist with no rhyme or reason. <laughs> Yeah, and it's like that it doesn't exist. No one is that. Even right. I mean, I, I, again, like I'm the first person to to say uh, if you're racist, go to hell. But you know, I also can recognize that people who are racist exist. <laughs> yeah, and it, I think it's a very. It's almost like a dangerous thing to turn uh, racism into a caricature of dumb. You know, and that's oh, right. he's just dumb. He's a dumb guy, and he's racist, and blah blah blah. And I'm like, well, there are plenty of, you know, 10% of San Francisco voted for Donald Trump. There are plenty of educated, hateful people out there who know, we think, know better. You know, we love to kind of pat ourselves on the back and be like, we're so enlightened, we're so woke, we all know that racism is bad, so smart. But, well, there are a lot of smart people. There are literally some scientists and doctors who have written, and not even that long ago, who have written papers on why black people are statically inferior. And they believe these things and they think they prove them scientifically. And these are people who were in med school. Even if they were in med school in they still went through med school. So right. to kind of like almost whitewash in some ways, I don't mean that the way people use it, but I mean to kind of just gloss it for what real racism is and paint all of these of these people as dumb is so dangerous and it's just it's beyond being disingenuous it's uninteresting it's uninteresting right. to have like the yokel character you know oh, I hate black people Ugh, okay well you know I feel like I saw that movie already <laughs> let's you know let's think things it's a, it's a complicated world why don't we make these conversations more complicated why do we still have to paint them as, like, you know, 
racism stupid. Well, yeah, we a lot of these people aren't stupid though, and we're not actually. You know, that's almost, it's not even dismissing them, and it's like dismissive of them, and then acting as if they won't be able to cause problems. Right. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't that, work. I mean, like, we've right. been trying that. It doesn't work. <laughs> and then yeah. this movie to even pretend like it's doing something that was in any way healing across uh, aisles. And yet, the only Latino characters in this movie are called Latino One and Latino Two. <laughs> yeah, it's like super people were. I saw it in my roommate at Cedar first. I was like, oh, this movie. He's like, okay, I'm really curious to to see about it. Okay. And then we're talking later, and I was like, I don't know, it's so weird. I felt weird about it too, but everyone who I was with loved it. And so we talked to other people, you included. There was a, a whole handful of people going like, I feel so weird about this movie, but everybody's telling me that it's enlightened and, and progressive and forward-thinking, and I don't feel that way. And I think that's kind of... You know, it, it, it's almost like they're not Nazi, where it's like some give themselves too much credit. You're not really as forward thinking as you are. We can see it in every single frame of this movie. You know, and this is my issue with everything Martin the, 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 the has made. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to say, okay, because I was like, I know I'm going to be like, Donahug, but everything he made since Bruges. I really like King Bruges. I'm an unabashed horror for Colin Farrell. I think Colin Farrell is actually a very talented actor that people love to shit on because he's, like, you know, Irish and getting wild and whatever. But I think he's very talented. And in Bruges, he really does give a very, very powerful performance. In Bruges, every little consequence, whether you mean it to, every little action, whether you meant it or not, having a consequence. Every little thing does. And big things, and the big things are bigger consequences, and the little things are mighty small consequences, so they lead up to bigger things. You know, it's, it's this whole sort of seedy world of people trying to stay one step ahead of their consequences or feeling terrified that they, you know, they should be facing their consequences. And then Seven Psychopaths came along, and I was excited to see it because I liked In Bruges, and I was watching Seven Psychopaths, and just being like, holy shit, I hate this so much. I mean, <laughs> like, first of all, he's a writer, and, like, we're insufferable. I get it. So, yeah, I don't know. But you need someone being like, this isn't how people speak. I'm fine with things being crafted in language. I'm totally fine with that. Only, like, it's too much, you know? It goes on. People just have these, like, ridiculous, quippy monologues, and he's like, oh, God, make it end. And then he wants to, like, have his cake and eat it, too. He wants to kind of have – he has a whole scene. There's this whole big shootout in the desert. That's not really happening. It's just someone explaining what this scene would look like if they put it in a movie. And you're like, what? Like, why am I, why am I invested in this, then? Like, I'm not. Let's be honest. I just want to see what happens with Christopher Walken's storyline. But, like – you know, and he does this kind of, he just, I think he just has these, like, moments he wants to put in movies and then writes scripts around them. That's fine. I have friends that love Fast and the Furious. They love all those movies that they are just vehicles for action or craziness or whatever. 
I wish some horror movies could operate on plot alone. Like, I don't, you know, I'm fine with things that seem like this is an exercise in craziness. This is an exercise in violence. This is an exercise right. in action. But then don't, you know, don't try to make me care about the characters. Don't have Colin Farrell's character instead of psychopaths as, like, this alcoholic screenwriter life is falling apart and his friend is a uh, some killer and, you know, isn't con- doesn't tell him this and then tells him, says he can confess to him once when he was drunk and Colin Farrell doesn't even remember it. And, you know, just kind of like trying to build this huge drama into something that's just gore. And it gets real tiring. <laughs> it's just like, well, all right. I don't, this is two hours, though. It didn't have to be two hours. Well, I wonder, so between these movies that we've just discussed, like Hereditary and, and uh, Three Billboards and even Mother, I, I'm wondering if now what we've hit upon here is that the key to the overhyped or not is perhaps that we're looking for movies that uh, have more depth or more detail or more that, that really are mining towards something uh a larger meaning or towards really focusing on something. And maybe the rest of the world isn't. Right. You know, That's I, true. Because I wonder for three billboards, for a lot of these, all of these, if you don't analyze them, they're fun, wild rides in the way that, say, um, uh, Fast and the Furious is. But, you know, then, then you and I look at this and realize, but then why are you talking about, you know, religion? And why are you talking about all these other things? Where does this thread lead? And how come that doesn't line up? And we're having huge protests about racism, and you've made a movie about racism, but you didn't actually talk about racism. And why? <laughs> yeah. Like, we're sitting here mm-hmm. focused on the details, and everyone else is just like, yeah, it's a cool movie. Like, uh, I really like that one guy punch the other guy. So I think you might actually be on something there. Uh, my roommate and I once had this discussion about Lost, which was never a TV show I got into, and he said he oh, wanted the whole thing. Oh god, <laughs> that sounds disappointing. Uh, yep. he, he, that's what I hear from a lot of people. Uh, he said that he fell out somewhere in like the middle of the second season because you would watch an episode and there would be so many so many things that you had to keep up on. And then the next episode, they wouldn't go back to any of the things he had kept up on. You know, they just went with whatever thread they wanted to go forward with. So, all right, this plot kept moving forward. Forget all these other ones. And so he was kind of saying that by the middle of the second season, he'd been like, you know what, I don't, you're not even caring about the threads that I'm putting attention into, so never mind. I'm not going to watch this show anymore. It's kind of like that where it's like, I guess you're kind of right where people are willing to just sort of breeze along with something, not go like, hey, 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 wait, 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 aren't we talking about X, Y, Z, isn't there a hash and numbers, are we going to go back to that? People just, blah, 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 until there's a conclusion and then everyone's disappointed. I almost want to be like, you should have been disappointed halfway through the movie, you should have been disappointed, like... You're disappointed you should have started earlier. <laughs> you should be disappointed earlier about things. That's um, that's my motto. Well, it's funny because, so I, you know, I saw Mandy recently. I don't know if you got to see that. I haven't yet. I want to. Well, I will not spoil it. But um, <laughs> I actually 
What I liked about Mandy is that it is so just simple and straightforward, and I was so happy to just breeze through it. Uh, where I almost can see if someone were to get hung up on it. Now, to me, Mandy, I went in thinking, Nick Cage covered in blood, go. Right. <laughs> like, that's all I wanted out of this movie. And, you know, you and I hated the first, the, the Beyond the Beyond Black, Black Rainbow. Rainbow. Oh, my God. We both saw that in a theater, and we both were falling asleep and, and hated it. And uh, so I did not her. have high expectations. Yeah. And then argued with the girl who took her take. Not argued. She's like, it's just a very personal movie. <laughs> She's like, it's my tribe. And I was like, yeah, it's my like, tribe. like, you know what, let's just leave. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I'm still bitter about that, quite frankly. But so we, I really went in with no ex- – my expectations were, like, you know, below the ground. I, I had no expectations for this, but I like Nick Cage, and I wanted to – you know, again, I, I like the look of Beyond the Black Rainbow, and this clearly had a very similar – LSD, 1980s, early 90s rainbow look. Sure. And so I was totally down for that. And so uh, it worked for me because that's all I wanted out of it. And there are threads of things such as demonic uh, whispers. (laughs) There's a lot that I actually even call Mandy a fantasy movie more than anything else. It felt like that sort of late 80s, early 90s fantasy movie Almost like um like Willow sure. getting remade by Twin Peaks the Return or something. Right. You know, it, was, it was violent and dark but it had that sort of just things in the air and, and uh you know, I don't know, but it was a sort of there's a line where the, the one guy says, You exude a dark cosmic energy man and I was like that that's this whole movie is exudes a dark cosmic energy. But that's all I wanted from it, and so I really enjoyed it. I really got a lot out of it. Um, But I also don't think, personally, that the movie gave you too many other threads. Like, everything that it brought up, it it also solves pretty quickly. Things like, hey, are are these, like, guys demonic undead? And some will be like, yeah, and they love it. And you're like, (laughs) (laughs) next scene. Yeah, I didn't need to know. Like, that's all I need to know. They're, like, sure, everyone, you know, and, and there is a question of, of how, you know, if how uh, real they are. You know, uh, there's sort of, I think a lot of this this uh, movie is can be either read as a straight fantasy or it could be read as a real story done really stylistically. Sure. So there's that. There is some wiggle room, but... Yeah, I don't know. I was so satisfied with that. And yet, as you were saying before, you know, there's other movies like like Mother that has so many loose ends threads about, you know, religious references to such a minute, minute detail and then drops it. They follow this thread about uh, the Bible, but then it doesn't lead anywhere. And it doesn't, it doesn't tell you anything or the stuff about nature or everything that Darren Aronofsky said in the interviews about mother and it was just like well i didn't see any of that man like or you brought it up i i, I caught the reference <laughs> right yeah i was like okay i guess i kind of understand the adam and eve Cain and abel stuff because again it's like yeah i caught the reference like i've seen that reference yeah, you reference the bible you know, literally every other movie like what do you right metal <laughs> oh, did you have someone lay down with their arms out like Jesus on the cross? Oh, I got that. <laughs> yeah, just, 
Yeah, I, I think that maybe it's just people thinking that once they're working in sort of a metaphorical medium, so to speak, they don't, people will sort of accept or not accept whatever they put out so they don't think. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's movies I love where I'm like, everything is explained in here, you just kind of have to look for it and other people hate that movie, but... Well, actually, I read one that we both liked, Under the Skin, and... Oh, yeah, I loved Under the Skin. And kind of, I understand why people are sort of like, huh, as far as what is going on, but, you know, it, it, I've only seen it three times. I haven't seen it, like, a million times. I've seen it twice in theaters, and then one other time trying to, well, it played at the Roxy, and then it played at the Castro with her, so... And I was like, oh, my God, this movie's so great. And I, like, brought a bunch of people, and everyone loved her. And then most everyone except me, my roommate, and our other friends left staring under the skin. And I kind of had this argument with this one chick who was just like, I mean, if that's what it is, fine, but it's just not a good movie. I was like, well, you're not a good movie. <laughs> that's what I said. <laughs> She's just like, it was the overrated, underrated thing again where people – make very, uh, make these declarations of something being good or bad. And I was going to be like, I don't, I, we all do it. I'm not saying I don't do it. But sometimes I'm like, well, who, you're not the decider, right? So you don't get to decide if this thing's good or bad. Who decides? I don't know. Does majority decide? Do critics decide? I don't know who decides. But something like Under the Skin I have shown to people and had them be sort of like, <sighs> I don't want to say repulse, but that is kind of how they behave towards it. Or they just go like, oh, oh, like it's about the whole movie. And it's like, well, it's, what's going on? I'm like, well, they're, she's trapping men and harvesting them for something. And we don't need to know what. If you read the book, you, you know what. But you can already kind of tell, like, food or energy or whatever, any other reason people, you know, just like, don't have my own Yeah, right. <laughs> You know, so it's, oh, what about the scene with the baby on the beach? What is that supposed to be? Well, it's also kind of someone, it's an alien exploring our world, and an alien not understanding danger, and an alien not understanding when another living thing is in danger, or not caring. Like, I don't, so I understand not being spoon-fed stuff. I'm, I'm there for that, but it does, it does seem like sometimes, it's like an everything in the kitchen sink approach, which is also how it felt about Hereditary, where it was like every single horror illusion you could possibly think of. You know, it comes people like, oh, Dash is a Rosemary's baby, and oh, Dash is a this, and da 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 and I can't even think of all the other ones that people were, you know, because we don't have enough sexual touch points, apparently. And that's how it felt. It did kind of feel like just... Uh, strongest pieces of all these horror movies brought together, but without the context, these pieces aren't strong. They're strong because they're built into movies that support them. They're not just strong because the scene in Rosemary's Baby where people are creeping in behind her, every time I show that movie to someone who hasn't seen it, that scene makes them jump, and there's no music cue, there's no camera zoom, it is just people quietly walking in the background behind her, and that always startles people. Why is it so right. startling? Well, we thought she was safe, we thought she had blocked the door, we didn't, you know, we kind of know that maybe they had another way in, but we don't yet. Like, so there's all these other pieces that I feel like maybe that's kind of, Instead of just going like, you know what's scary? People's heads coming off. You know what's scary? 
you know, Satan is smiling in the corner. Ah, put everything in this movie instead of these yeah. films. These have to be sewn together. It has to fit. I'm all for collaging. I'm all for referencing other movies or reusing things in a different way and putting things in a new context. But that's just it. It has to be, you have to be working towards something new in order for it to be worthwhile. Otherwise, it is just a clip show, basically. Right. And, yeah, I didn't really feel that Hereditary was working towards anything, even though it used all of these interesting elements. I mean, I really liked... I like the dollhouse stuff, and I like that one scene where the mother is walking down the staircase, and the dollhouse that's by the staircase, as she walks, it's it, it's like this massive Cronenberg-looking home that's been mutated. Right. I don't know if, if you'd, like, notice, because it was one of these weird, like, because I noticed it in the scene thinking, oh, I didn't realize this was so weird in other scenes, and then when it cut to a daylight scene, I noticed, oh, it wasn't. It was just for that one scene of her walking down the staircase. Like, I like that sort of stuff. It, it felt creepy. It felt dreamlike. But, you know, if, if that's it, then that's it. It doesn't really mean anything. And, again, I, I dropped the ball on the stuff that actually was meaningful. So Right. I thought the scene uh, where, like, essentially we know Charlie's dead. We didn't. You know, we don't need to see her actual body, but seeing Alex Wolf sitting in the car and just like staring straight ahead and not moving for a solid minute, like that was, and it's close to the end of the movie, so I was still all wrapped up. I'm like, oh my god, this is gonna scare me, and that scene like really, really kind of made me like it made my stomach hurt in a weird way. You know, you could just kind of feel like. First of all, what it's like to be a teenager and screw something up in general, and now you now you just what the fuck did you do? It's like you can just yeah. feel that sort of pounding in on them. And the shock silence, which is something that I've always sort of lamented in a lot of Western or especially American movies, is that people react to things so quickly. Whether it's supernatural, all the Japanese horror movies where ghosts are coming at you, people are frozen in horror. Because you would be. You'd be shooting your pants. You'd like, you know, all... Speaking of existential dread, you know, you just, it's like, that's the whole Lovecraft thing, right? Is that, like, these monsters are scary because we think they don't exist, and then they do exist, and we don't know how to handle it. Or people, like, you know, they see something traumatic happening, and they're instantly crying. Like, why, why? When a lot of times, like, a lot of people's reaction is just shock. It's just stuck and silent. And so I thought that was really a very wonderful scene and then you know you have a fairly sad shot of Charlie's head on the top of the road and just things that kind of show how gruesome of a death it really was and how and if that that is scary being a teenager who accidentally killed your little sister is scary and living in a house with people that you don't like and don't really trust is scary you don't need the Satan it's like they're you know, they're window dressing at that point. You guys will right. all kill each other. Hopefully. Jeez. Again, this is why, you know, I made the joke, like, Grey Gardens scared me more than Hereditary. And it, Grey Gardens, I love that movie. I watch Grey Gardens, like, <laughs> probably once a year. I love Grey Gardens. I love Little Edie. We all know I'm a gay man on the inside. I love Little Edie. But it is, it's a movie that, like, every once in a while when I'm watching it, I'm like, I get, like, claustrophobic. And just the idea of being trapped in this passive-aggressive, codependent, horrible relationship for 25 years 
that's scary. And being dead is, you know, whatever. You're dead. It doesn't matter. You don't matter. You won't, you won't feel it. You'll just be dead. But, yeah, you know, I always feel that way about friends who get nervous on airplanes, and I'm like, look, the second you walk on that airplane, you're already dead. <laughs> <laughs> Does that calm them down? I can feel that calm them down. Right. Like, what can you do about it? Like, that's it, you know? Like, the best case scenario, you don't die, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> but so to end on something that's vaguely uh, on to- off topic here. Um, sure. Why who, who does get to decide? <laughs> who, who does get to decide what's overhyped? What do you think? But this is an answer. I, you know, I. This is something I've wondered and asked myself, and sort of asked a lot of people, and I really don't have a definitive answer because, you know, I used to be like critics, critics decide, and then. And I was like, well, no, that's stupid. That's elitist. Audiences decide. But I never, I didn't think that one for very long. I was like, oh, no. Audiences are dumb. Let's go back to the elitist. But, and then, so I used to have this joke like, well, me, me, I get to decide. And then I started realizing that I love movies like I know who killed me. And I'll defend my love of them. I'm not even going to sit here and be like, you know, oh, it's so bad, it's good. I'm like, no, I watch it. I don't want you talking during it. You know, it's. So I'm not, I don't know. I really don't have this answer. The same thing with overrated, underrated. Because I could sit here and list off movies. There's only one movie in this world that I think is genuinely overrated. And I don't think anyone, or I don't think a lot of people would disagree with me on it. But Crash, the one that won Best Picture. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because it won Best Picture. I think, right. like, that's what makes it overrated to me is that it got all this attention for being, first of all, made by a racist. So, you know. That's great. That's good. And two, being the most obvious, trite, contrived, horrible piece of self-congratulatory tripe. Um, but that one, if it hadn't gotten, if it was just some some movie that Hollywood put out, and it was, you know, like, I, I don't think the blind side overrated. It was stupid. I didn't like it, but, like, it wasn't overrated because it kind of fell the middle ground. It didn't get accolades. It wasn't, I don't right. think, right? I know Sandra Bullock won the Oscar, but that's different. Like, the performances are allowed to be good within terrible things. Oh, sure. You yeah, I, I think that my, my kind of wishy-washy answer to my own question here is that I think time decides. Because there are a lot of movies that win Best Picture and then still get forgotten that people don't yeah. talk about. Except that so we see that... And then, like, we can all think of, you know, we we were just mentioning Hitchcock being kind of overrated. And he's someone who's going to outlive all of us, you know. For sure. But that's the thing is that, I mean, I think that the stuff that does get remembered is worthwhile. You know, I think about this a lot with music when people say, like, you know, I, I remember all the hype about Britney Spears when she was around. Oh, she's the next Madonna. Was she really, though? I mean, I know that she still has a fan base, but uh, and I'm sure that there's someone very angry listening to this. Do <laughs> <laughs> you think there's a lot of crossover with, like, Britney Spears fans and, and back row? I feel like right. Terry. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, who knows? But um, I won't judge. But, um, right. uh, you know, I, I think I'll, you get this a lot with pop music, for sure, that, oh, it's the next Beatles or, oh, it's the next. But it isn't. And, and you see that as time progresses, 
and the fans die off, is there a new crop of fans still happening? I think is kind of what decides overrated or not, but it doesn't decide good or bad to me. I think they're kind of separate. And as we do on the website so often, we're always looking back at movies that, you know, we are kind of rediscovering or trying to bring out a new light and try to show show them in a positive light, even if they are dismissed or have been reviewed poorly. I think that's the number one thing that we do on Back Row anyhow. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's hard, but I would say that my sort of, like, textbook dictionary definition answer would be that I think time kind of gets to decide and that if it gets remembered and it it gets brought up again and again, even if it's brought up as good or bad, then, you know, there's something there clearly hit enough of a nerve that it showed up in our collective consciousness to some degree. But yeah. uh, as for there's a conversation with your, your buddy who uh, barely sees movies, but you drag to one film, <laughs> that's, that's like, I, I've long since learned that anytime someone says that you're too negative, that just means that they're insecure about what they like or not, and they're angry that you don't like the same things that they like. So I don't pay too much heed to whether or not someone thinks that something I like is overrated or whether or not I'm I'm thrilled about something that someone else likes. Yeah, I think as far as the time thing, though, I'm still kind of iffy on that just because of, like, how much crap does survive. And it's always kind of, I guess there's also this, like, hype is such a momentary thing, right? So, like, for us, you know, we don't, sometimes we know about things that, may not really have had hype that may not have, and, you know, something like Rocky Horror Picture Show even, where its hype came years and years later and it kind of built this, you know, this following. Um, I, I feel like there's still so much junk that gets remembered uh, that I kind of hesitate to be like, yeah, time. Um, but I also, and again, this is like, it was, you know, kind of the whole thing. Because I'm looking at a lot of this stuff and being like, well, yeah, because it's so over, overrated. <laughs> so I just hate to give like, you know, like Moulin Rouge is. I won't, I won't actually say that this movie is overrated because it's people. Because I don't right, and, and I don't want to use that word. I'll use it for crash because that makes sense. But I feel like at least Moulin Rouge, I can understand people's love of it. But I think it's. Super overrated. I think it's you know it just hurts my head. Um, and I think that I really liked it back in the day. Really? Actually, uh, I haven't seen it in ages. I like the music, but I like musicals. Right. I like musicals too, but that just I think also right. I right and like I didn't I liked the music enough, but since a lot of it was uh, give me, yeah, give me, like, a new original score. I'll sit here for it, you know. Right. Um, but I don't know. I've always had a strange relationship with Nicole Kidman, too. I'm always kind of like, I don't, I don't know why your acting bothers me, but it does. There's a lot of movies I see her and she does really well in, but I'm still like, something about, something about your acting. So, uh, but, yeah, I just, it's. I think stuff does get into the collective consciousness, and a lot of times it's not the cream of the crop, you know. It's For sure. So that's just kind of what what the thing with Britney Spears I think is a funny one, um, because I do oddly enough I think that she might have sort of so 
I think teen idol people are hard because they can really only exist as teen idols for a short period of time, and then they can't, you know, to have like a new crop of fans where you're probably not going to do that with teenagers because now you're 30, so they don't care about you. Um, but I but think I mean, the, for me, who was born in the 80s, the Beatles were what I grew up on. And that wasn't because my parents forced me. You know, at a certain age, you reject shit. And for me, I, I could connect to the Beatles way more than I could ever connect to, like, the Bad Street Boys or, or whatever. Right. So I find, I think that that's worth something because the Beatles still have young fans today. You know, Paul McCartney still sells out concerts and not just for old people trying to relive their youth. Whereas I don't know that once once all of us, uh, you know, 80s, 90s can die, whether or not there's going to be this, like, Britney Spears is going to be remembered, uh, you know, other than a footnote. But so then I think there's some other where it's like time is such a hard thing to to look at. We, we want to look at it collectively. And I wonder, it's like, we were we were born in the 80s. We grew up in the 90s. Um, but there's always stuff from, like, the early 80s where people are making fun of, and especially like Gen Xers are kind of, like, making fun of the hippies. So I bet if we were, like, teenagers in, teenagers in the 90s thought the Beatles were shite, you know. It was that they were like, oh, yeah, the hippies, and oh, yeah, peace, love, blah, blah, blah. We want grunge. We want, you know, so it's, but then 10 years later, oh, it's kind of different. And so I don't, I don't know. I think because things go in waves, um, I think we would have to put, like, a number on, like, so is it 50 years? If we still remember them and they have fans in 50 years, is that it? Is it 100 years? Is it Because if it's 30 years, it might not, they might not have any fans, but they might 40 years, you know, so... That's true. I, I think also with movies especially, and I think about this a lot, all of these top 100 movie lists, which is something that I know that we very actively try to avoid on our site. Right. Because it's kind of a bullshit concept. <laughs> um, but a lot of these are also who who were they decided by, and it's, the answer is men, like white, white men. So I think, you know, as as film critics can diversify, which is now, you know, currently a movement happening, and not that there weren't female film critics for ages, because there's always been, and there was a big shift more recently that it's become this sort of weird male uh, sphere. But um, I think that you'll you'll see these top hundred lists changing when it's not some old white guy in charge of. All right, stamp that one. It's gonna be Hitchcock. <laughs> right, right, yeah. So it's it's Citizen Kane, and it's this one, and you know this is also. I do um, love Citizen Kane. I'm not going. Sure, I like it enough. You know, it's, it's not... You love Orson Welles. <laughs> yeah, he's my boy. I've heard you refer to Orson Welles many times in our country. Uh, and not in the way I am, where I quote his caricature from the critics. Hold on. Country, country goodness and green penis. <laughs> Wait a minute, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> you know, so it's... And I think that, um, actually, for both of us, a lot of the things that, you know, to to your point of, like, these top 100 lists changing, because they are, they tend to be all written by the same type of person. And they all tend to be these, like, big movies. Lawrence of Arabia, which we both absolutely love, so it's not like, right. you know. 
but he's gone with the wind, which I feel like we're both kind of lukewarm on. And right. <laughs> so these these sort of big, huge, epic movies of these very mainstream, you know, technically impressive movies, and the ones that we, if we were writing the top hundred list, they would be weirder and darker and quieter and cultier. And I genuinely think the movies we're selecting are better. You know, if they they probably don't have the budget for some of these. You know, and they are probably more interesting or they have better acting or there's something just sort of uh, more captivating about them than another British pig dog movie. And so I think that's part of it, too, is that now I do think people are sort of more open to weirdness. You know, they're not necessarily lining up for the movies we go see, but they're willing to sit through something like Mother as a mainstream release or even right. Hereditary as a fairly mainstream release. Um, so like things are – I feel like even – well, I'm trying to – horror recently has had this whole, like, art house renaissance, which is great. Um, and, you know, so I feel like I used to not have to worry about height as much because my movies weren't getting height. But then I say that, and as soon as it comes out of my mouth, I'm thinking of, like, the Blair Witch Project. I'm thinking of Paranormal Activity, which is so dumb. I hate that movie. But, like, now I now I want to take my season back. Because <laughs> now I'm thinking of, like, all these all these horror movies that were coming out and being like, oh, the hype machine. Um, so never mind. That's not bad. <laughs> that's, that's wrong. I'm, I'm wrong. So on that note. <laughs> Good. I'm glad you ended on a wrong note. <laughs> <laughs> and a ghost noise, so pretty good. <laughs> Perfect. Well, this has been notes from the back row. <laughs> we're not we're not overhyped, right? We're we're hardly not. not. I think I think we're kind of uh, you know I think we're both hyping each other, and so if anything, we're living in a good bubble. Right. Perfect. <laughs> I can that. That works for me. That is the episode for this week. Thank you for listening. As always, find us at back-row.com, back-row cineblog on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And we will see you again on Notes from the Back Row. Bye.